Hey guys, and welcome to the Sanctuary of Quest Church. We're so glad that you're with us, and I want to reiterate just a couple of things. Please participate in Quest Nation and help us get the gospel to the globe. Thank you for all of the partners that have covenanted and committed with us to the cause. We appreciate you and we celebrate you tonight. We have had over 200 people saved in the last few months through this media, and we're excited about the future. How many of you know that God is sovereign, and he's sovereign at all times, and he's sovereign for all times? We have had some incredible national, notable speakers with us over the last few weeks. I couldn't be more excited about the two guys that are going to join me now. I've known these guys for years since, oh Lord, we won't even go back how, how long I've known these gentlemen. But they are my friends, they're my brothers, and I respect them highly, their perspective. They are very prolific in how they peer into the prophetic future. Their insight is intriguing to me. And so I've been for a few weeks, my heart has been beating with a palpitation of excitement at the thought of hearing these two guys address where we are. First of all, I want to welcome Dr. Mark Sharona. We love you, sir. And love we're, you too. we're so, so glad you're with us, man. Honored to be here. Thank you. And then my brother, Bishop Gary Oliver, I love you, man. Love you, man. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this tonight. Absolutely. It's going to be strong. It's going to be powerful. So, guys, I have been in Luke chapter 17 for, for a moment. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus asking a particular question. When will the kingdom of God come? We're going to start right there. You know, 2020 started out, every preacher in America at least was preaching 2020 vision. And we ran right out of vision and right into the virus. And right out of virus, right into violence. The year started out as a prophetic year. It turned to a year pandemic and now pandemonium. And so the question that these guys presented to Jesus, when shall the kingdom of God come? And Jesus at the end of the dialogue said, you need to maybe reflect back on the days of Noah, right? And when you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible says in the days of Noah that the earth was corrupt and the land was filled with violence. Sounds familiar. And as we all three know, corruption doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow decay. It is a drifting away from something. And so as we look at where we are now, we want to start there. I was saying yesterday in the message I preached that you've never shaken hands with pastors that have pastored in a seven-month period during a pandemic, political upheaval, racial divide, churches closed, having to reach their people online, We've never been here before, and we know it's a defining moment. Dr. Sharona, let's start with you. How, what do you see right now? I mean, we're at a critical crossroads, and I know that you know that. Give us some direction and, and some instruction, if you like. What are you feeling right now? Um, Pastor Rick, it's a great question. I, it, it's, I, I, it's, the answer for me is not simple. It, it's a little bit complicated in the sense that it involves many, many things converging at once. To say that um, when we talk about understanding the times, right, in order that we might know what to do, the word times there is obviously plural. Mm. 
So we tend to hear that as understanding the times as if it's 2020, instead of understanding the times in terms of past, mm -hmm. present and future and understanding the cycles and the seasons by which certain things take place. So that in First Chronicles 12, in verse 32, we have the ordering of the tribes at a particular moment of transition. And it says, of the, of the sons of Issachar, 200 of their leaders. Now that they're mentioned in the order of their tribal hierarchy. Right. But in actual fact, the implication of the the text there is that they are actually leading the way in bringing an understanding to where things are historically in the nation of Israel. So while everyone else brought their swords and shields, mm. the sons of Issachar brought their understanding. Wow. And so a lot of us want to come to this thing. And there's a lot of war language going on right now in our nation. Yeah. But I think the answer lies in understanding language and not in brandishing weapons that cause us to be us and them because the body of Christ is here to be a healing agent. Yes. And so that would be first and foremost. The second thing I would suggest is that where we are right now in history is not different than where we have been historically before. So even within our Pentecostal history, uh, in terms of how the church responds to this, the, the Spanish flu was part of the early Pentecostal generation where they had to live for years dealing with it. And how do they respond to that as effective agents of Jesus in the midst of a global crisis? Wow. Certainly more complicated now because of the extensive ways in which things are unfolding. But then at the same time, uh, it's not just a virus. We are also at the convergence of a 50-year cycle of racial unrest. Mm. And if we go all the way back from the, the founding of the colonies to where we are now, every 50 years there has been racial unrest because of America's original sin. Yeah. And it still is America's original sin. And we, we keep putting Band-Aids on it instead of understanding the roots of it and we get intimidated when we want it when it when it needs to be talked about. And if we're not willing to talk about it and process it, uh, we're just going to keep putting a bandaid on and repeating this. I'd like to believe that our generation, in the midst of this crisis, that there are because I uh, there are young voices that I think we need to be listening to that are saying we're tired of the way you guys have dealt with this in your generation. We want to see healing. Mm. And in order for there to be healing, we've got to be particularly willing to listen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure everybody wants to listen. And I'm particularly persuaded that if we don't understand that while we are a nation of immigrants, one particular group of people was brought here unwillingly against their will, and they are far more um, uh, in need of us hearing them than mm -hmm. we are in putting a Band-Aid on something wow. in an effort to kind of say, well, let's just have a kumbaya moment and keep moving forward. We, we, the trauma and the processing of pain can take years. Um, mm -hmm. Elise Schultz was a Scandinavian um, uh, um, humanitarian, and she did work in terms of how long it takes to process pain average yeah if there's something that touches a particular group of people 
And the average time it takes to process a trauma within a particular group of people is 200 years. Mm. Because you've got to include grandparents, parents, and children, and that span of time. So that it's, she called it the 200 year present. Wow. So mm. now multiply that by 416 years of where we've been in America, preceded by chattel slavery, preceded by um, racial, Im racial implications of the white race being the European superior race all the way back to the time of the Greeks and to Plato. Mm -hmm. And that certain, certain colors of pigmentation made people inferior. And you've got the development, the full-blown development by the time we get to 400 years ago of of racial discrimination and racism yeah and so i'm not sure everybody's ready to talk about that and and we want to we want to grab swords when what we need to do is tear our hearts open and say can we need to start listening to pain yeah and so there's that plus there's there's another cycle that's converging and uh, we are we are at a point where economically and globally we are at a place of a major economic cycle of change yes. that's about an 80-year cycle. And so whether we like it or not, we are in for some disruption economically in the next decade. And mm -hmm. we're, I think it will settle down past that, but we need to be aware of that. And then thirdly, while people don't believe in climate change, it's real. Yes. Now, what we do with it based on believing everybody's reports, but we have been here before in the history of the world. Now, the world is a lot older than we might think it is, but climate change is tied to the magnetic fields of the earth. And I've been looking at some geophysical uh, charts and things because part of my doctoral training is in future studies and in understanding the times. Right. And so we are at a place where uh, those things are shifting and it's affecting our behaviors and our outlook. Now, there are things we need to do about the climate, but it's also affecting the way we interact with one another. Right. So you put all those cycles together and uh, we are in for the ride of our life. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think Jesus is saying, let us go to the other side. <laughs> He's in the boat. He right. trusts the father and the church is saying we're perishing. We haven't got a clue what to do. Yeah. And we need to know how to either wake him up or learn how to enjoy the ride, trusting that when we get to the other side, we can liberate people that have been bound by oppression wow. uh, and have and have abused economics in the name of marginalizing people who are demonized. And we'd rather have demonized people, oppressed people, than we would a free society. So I think there's a lot going on. Wow. Well, you just gave us the first volume of a I'm lot going <laughs> yeah exactly that was that was a lot and and you know i i'm with you i believe that com communication is the answer to chaos and we've got to communicate ourselves through this thing and that and i really do believe that the learners of this season are the leaders of the next season it's not a question of what you know right now it's a question of what you are learning right now and um someone said that chaos is the birthing place of change but then we also know that at the end of all learning is change so all these cycles culminating at one time has created a chaotic condition 
But that's the way it all starts. Chaos is the initiation of, a, of something new. It's, the, it's a new era. It's a new phase or duration of time. That was powerful, and I appreciate where you started because you really gave us those two categories, that the tribe of Issachar understood the times, and most preachers preach that, those Cairo special occasions, events, opportunities, set times. We, we, we know that, but we never preach the second part which is the second category, and they knew what to do. And that's what we're learning right now. One thing that stands out to me about the tribe of Issachar is the Bible says that they dwelled in tents, and we know that tents are transitory. They are used for moving, so they were astronomers as we, knew, we know. The tribe of Issachar had the ability to read the signs in the sky. Bishop Oliver, I know that you can feel that synergy that Dr. Sharona just created for us to ride on tonight. Um, give us some caveat. Talk to us. You know, my heart goes to, um, and, and Dr. Mark is always so eloquent. You know, he's, he and I have been friends for many, many years. He is one of my board members, and he preaches for us often. And I always walk away shaking my head, wonder why I even try to preach after I hear. Right, exactly. <laughs> Mark says he can talk for 10 minutes and I'm done. It's like, but um, I want to come from the place of, of the person who sits in the pew looking at all of this okay. and saying, okay, so we're supposed to know some things. We're supposed to answer some things. We're supposed to have some ideas about, but uh, this, this thing is also a faith walk mm. and not everything in a faith walk do you know it is a day-by-day -day process? Mm. But if we don't stay connected to the idea of what Dr. Mark initiated, and that is they understood the times, the past, because this is not the first time we've been here. That's right. The present and the future. Where do we go from here? And I really think that there is some uh, real pull and, and all three of us come from Pentecostal backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some real pull in the spirit right now uh, to wake us up out of a spirit of uh, lackadaisicalness or mediocrity, if you will. Yeah. Uh, because the church has lost its ability to lament. Wow. We don't know anything about lamenting now. We know how we, we really don't know how to celebrate very well because and, and to rejoice and to give extreme expressions of praise. But we've learned mediocrity real mm. well. And that we've got down. We know how to just go and sit and be cool in church and, and uh, just enjoy the moment. But I think what I hear the spirit saying to me is that what if this is a Romans eight moment? Mm. that God is pulling us into where I don't know what to pray. Mm -hmm. I don't even know how to pray as I ought. So am I willing to give myself over to Holy Spirit enough that Holy Spirit, while Jesus intercedes for me at the right hand of the Father, Holy Spirit grieves in me and cries out in me according to the will of God, which evidently, and Bible says that the Holy Spirit cannot speak of his, only of his own volition. He only speaks what he has heard. So if, if Holy Spirit is praying something in me, 
I need to be aware of what Holy Spirit is praying. But sometimes the Bible says that he does it with groanings that I can't even find a word to yeah, fit. Yeah, man. Yeah. And there is a power that I think God is trying to take the church back into where we learn to yield ourselves over and say, God, there are a lot of things that, yeah, we can look at the Bible. We can look at, we can look at uh, the, the writings of Martin Luther when he wrote about the Black Plague. I, I think it's a very powerful statement that he made when he was writing about the Black Plague. He said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus uh, perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my own negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he expected of me. Wow. And so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. Wow. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid the place or person, but will go freely as stated above. This is how I live with God fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolheartedly and neither does it tempt God. I think God, he's, he's given us something in the past that we can look at and say, wow, what a pattern yeah. that this man faced yeah. in the Black Plague. And he came out and said this, and, and yet we're still quarantining. We're still doing a lot of things. Yeah. And, and we, it's good that we follow those guidelines. But if somebody is needed and if some prayer is needed, where are the righteous that can stand up and administer Come that on. kind of prayer? And where are the righteous that are listening to a holy God yes, man. who is saying, get on your face until groanings come out of you. We used to call it travail. travail. You don't hear about travail anymore. But there was a place where you could get to in prayer where you didn't even have words, but it was a groan that came out of you My God. and a prayer that came up out of your guts and a, a partitioning of God. And sometimes you wouldn't even know what you're getting, but you're what you're stepping into. But you knew that you knew that you knew My God. God had just worked some things out for your benefit. I am persuaded that nothing can really separate us. Wow. From the love of God, if yeah. we learn to go back and grab hold of some of these truths that the church has laid to the side, yes. I think it's very, very wise for us to be intelligent about this. Yes, I think it's very wise for us to look at the medicinal reports. I think it's very wise for us to look at the scientific reports. But whatever we do, we cannot forget our God in this moment. My God powerful and the book of romans tells us that the earth is groaning for the sons of god to be made manifest i believe it like no other time than this you know when you got to that part about the emotions and involvement we've been good at at mediocrity you, and that's a powerful statement i was looking at those cardboard fans in mm. the ma major league baseball they're fake yeah they have no feeling they're manufactured Right. And I felt like the God, that God spoke to me and said, this is what we've done in the church. Mm -hmm. We've lost the feeling and emotion. We've got the faces. But we don't yeah. have that travail anymore and that lamentation anymore. And we've got cookie-cut Christians in cookie-cut churches. And there's yeah. no movement. There's no motion. There's no spiritual progress. A lot of activity, but not progress. Dr. Sharona? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm listening. It's profound. Uh, when, when, when Bishop Oliver went to Romans 8, you know, N.T. Wright has been saying quite a bit 
I had the privilege of, of doing a Zoom interview for God TV where I interviewed N.T. Wright, probably the most uh, prolific New Testament scholar alive on the planet. And he went right to Romans 8 and talked about the intersection of the pain of the world um, being the place where we need to learn how to grow. Mm. And, you know, creation is groaning. Spirit is groaning, and as Bishop said, we need to learn how to groan. Now, I think the groans are there, but whether we're cooperating with them or not is the question. So what what, what does it take to bring us to a place? Well, and I want to be very careful how I say this, because, look, I love the body of Christ. I know you guys do, too. We want to see the whole body come yeah. to a place of flourishing. Yes. Um, I, I think, again, understanding the times, if we look back at the last hundred years since the industrial revolution and then look at our generation as the baby boomer generation there's been a progression of individualism mm. that has gotten to a place of narcissism in the current culture so the thought of cross bearing which is the cross-shaped life it we give lip service to the cross but we won't carry it Wow. I heard one I heard one one preacher say Jesus carried the cross so you don't have to. I want to say preacher have you read the Bible? Jesus said take, take up your up cross, cross deny yourself and follow me. Mm -hmm. And so we don't like to talk about the groanings that enable us to feel the pain, to empathize with the pain of people because we want to avoid suffering at all costs because our whole culture is built on you can control everything you can be certain about the future and even sometimes the faith message has been perverted to the point where we think we can talk things away mm. well we can't talk everything away we can't rebuke this virus away we can't we can't we can't make it go away it's going to be here longer than people think it is we're going to be in this state for at least another number of months and maybe more right and the pandemic has cre created a level of fear in people that we can't just say oh just rebuke it it'll go away it's just the devil no fear is a very basic human emotion so if we can't begin to identify with the deeply felt pain of the world and of the people that we serve, I'm not sure we can get into the future. So at some level, we, we do have to learn how to groan. We learn, you know, emotional intelligence is I'm not just aware of myself. Self-awareness leads to other awareness. And the first other is the capital O God. Hmm. Moses is at the burning bush and he has this encounter at the in an isolated place the encounters come right. in places of isolation yeah um, for 40 years he's been walking the hot desert sand and under his feet he's got this unconscious awareness that there is a dead egyptian underneath that sand that keeps coming up and haunting him well it's mm. the dead egyptian in him that he killed when he thought he was killing the egyptian yeah. back in the brickyard because he he was raised as an egyptian with a hebrew destiny and he and he had a, he had a conflict within himself of who am i and at that burning bush that fire begins to move in him to the point where it says when he turned aside to look and that's that's a phenomenal word in the hebrew but when he turns aside to look it says the lord saw that moses saw 
God doesn't move until he sees that we're moving in a direction we need to move. Yeah. And then God reveals himself. Yes. I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So now he's going, I'm not just your daddy's God. Mm -hmm. I'm going all the way back to the original three generations. That's So understanding the times. I, I'm your father's God, but I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now I'm revealing myself to you. And it says Moses, in that moment of God awareness, mm -hmm. becomes so self-aware that he hides his face. He hides his sense of identity because he's afraid to look at God. Now, God loves him, but Moses has areas of unfinished business in his own life. So Moses has rejected parts of himself right. that need to be healed. And may we never forget that God is not an angry God. God is not a God who's out to destroy us. God's a God who's out to heal us. But we can't get healed if we're not willing to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly mm. in us mm. and accept the fact that we're loved in spite of it, but we're loved to become a, a place of healing to get beyond it and move forward for the sake of others that need to be healed. I can't bring anybody wow. else out of bondage until I recognize that good and evil meet in yeah. me, yeah. and I need to be the first one to allow the fire. God's fire is a fire of love. Yes. And the yeah. moment we miss that and turn it into a fire of I'm going to kill everybody, we have now perverted the revelation of God in Christ and what happened at the cross. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm not into this God is angry stuff. I no. think we've got too many folk wanting to kill people when Jesus said at the, the first thing Jesus says at the cross about all his enemies, including us, is Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Yeah. And, and everything at the cross becomes a revelation of the love of the Father. Right. If you've seen me, Jesus says you've seen the Father. Mm. So that emotional intelligence begins with self-awareness that's rooted in God awareness that reflects back on a self-awareness that says, I'm broken, but he's going to make me beautiful. And that brokenness and beauty coexist in me and will for the entire journey. So how do I learn how to love well so that I can be part of the healing that needs to take place in the midst of the pain that everybody's feeling? Powerful. And you know, that thought of God using that man, Moses, mm -hmm. is profound to me. He could have used anyone. He chose Moses. And that frail, flawed field man is the man that God chose to use. And God said, I've heard their groaning, mm -hmm. and I have come down to deliver them. Yeah. And I'm going to use... And now I'm sending you. And now I'm yeah. sending you. <laughs> and I'm sending you. <laughs> And so the question is, who, who am I that you would use me? And that should be the humility or the humble expression of all of us because we're all flawed individuals and you'll never be at a place of spiritual maturity that you do not need grace. Hannah, the hurricane, just hit Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. Hannah means grace. It hit Padre Island. Padre is father. I believe it's a sign in the natural of what's happening in the supernatural. We need a flood of storm of grace to hit the body of Christ again. And grace needs to come back to our fathers. 
And I don't know about you guys, but suddenly spiritual fathers and patriarchs, it seem in this season, are, are taking their role. You know, they're stepping back into that prophetic identity. And it, it's like new revelation is coming to these patriarchs and these seasoned statesmen that have been in the body of Christ for a while. You guys, what you're saying tonight is so current and so profound. And, you know, I'm just thankful that God still uses us he trusted the way I, I tell people god trusted us with this time i would not have wanted to miss this pandemic i'm thankful that i've been able to be here and experience it and navigate through it and somehow offer some kind of leadership bishop oliver i know you were feeling those those words of uh, dr sharona i am and uh i want to go back to Moses for a moment because there was a season of my life and both of you guys know me very well you know me intimately y'all know uh, things that I've gone through and dealt with and there was a moment in my life where I was fighting uh, just so many ideas of of religion and church and uh, what is all of this about and I'd gone through a life change and I was like God I need to be reintroduced to you. Mm. And so I sat down and I said, and I hope I can stay together and talk about this, but hands uh, on you, brother. I sat down and I said, God, if you were to walk in this room right now and reintroduce yourself to me, mm. forget all my religious experience, Forget all the stuff I've been taught, all the stuff that's been ingrained, all the stuff that has been misaligned in me by your, uh, even even through the church and, and seeing things so wrongly, God, open my mind to the scripture. If you were to come in, Jesus, right now and just introduce yourself to me, who would you tell me you are? Mm. And he said, I am that I am. Yes. And I almost... I almost got angry. I'm like, yeah, I know that's cute. That's Mo That's what you told Moses, but I'm talking about me. What would you tell me? And I heard the words again. I am that I am. And I said, okay, so cool. That means you just going to be whatever we need you to be whenever we need you to be something. I am, that's whatever God will be. And he said, no, I don't have to metamorphose into anything to meet any need in you. I am more than enough for everything you will ever need. There's not a battle you have. There's not a there's not a victory you're gonna need that hasn't already been won for you. And I said, so God, what do you mean by I am that I am? And he said, I am. Mm. And, I, and all of a sudden, everything in my, it, it felt like things just flooded away from me. And all of a sudden I saw my past. I saw my past. I heard a preacher say one time, that the only way we can really touch God is to touch him in eternity, not in time. Mm. And I thought that was the weirdest statement. And I still kind of think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different statement. I think I would have phrased it different. And I'm like, but he, he said this. And so all of a sudden I see my past as behind a door that is locked and it's access is denied by a locked door that's called past. On the other side of me, I see future and the door is, the access is denied by a lock called future. I can't go there and I can't go here. 
All I have, I don't have my past to go back and rework. I don't have my future to go back and rework. All I have is right now. But what if I need to fix something in my past? The only way I can fix what is in my past is by how I handle my now. Wow. The only way I can handle and fix what is in my future is by how I handle my now. Mm. Here's the thing. When I step out of now, I don't step into my future. Right. I step into now. And it is eternally now. The eternal place where we touch God is always now. Wow. It's never it's never in the past, it's never in the future. It's always now. Right now. But if I want to if I want to fix something in my past, then I release right now. I forgive right now. I, I turn it loose right now. I take that deep dive that Dr. Mark is talking about. Take that deep dive on me. Figure out what is yes. wrong with me. Why did I make that choice? Then I straighten that thing up. God fixed that in me so I never work from that paradigm again. Wow. God changed me. God, how do I fix my future? How do I prepare for my future? It's how I sow my now. That's how I prepare for my future. So I think that there is a place where God is calling us to that is saying, I don't want to be a past God. I don't want to be a futuristic God. I want to be a right now God in your life. And I want to walk through this pandemic with you. I want to walk through the moments where you're confused with you. I want to walk through the moments where you're scared. I want to walk through the moments when you're having night terrors. I want to be in your house at night when you can't sleep. I want to be there with you. And yes, you're going to go through some stuff, but I'm going to bring you through it all because I am. Wow. And I always will be. I am. I am. I'm present. God is here with us. He's in this moment. I agree with you, brother. I thank God that he chose me to be in this pandemic, yeah. that he trusted me with this moment in eternity. He trusted me with this moment in the world, in time with his people. Dear God, what a responsibility we have. So what do we do with our now yep. and how do we fix our now and how do we handle our now? Because that's our place of eternity. It's eternally now. It is eternally now. That in that powerful. moment, that's where we touch God. That's where we live with God. That's where we walk with him. It is every day. And I just encourage the people to allow God. Yes. I encourage everybody that's watching right now to right allow now. God to take you into a right now moment with him. A right now moment. You yes. don't have to wait yes. for somebody to pray for you. You don't have to wait for Bishop Hawkins. You don't have to wait for Dr. Sharona to lay hands on you. They can prophesy. They can speak the word of the Lord over you. But there's a right now God that mm. is standing right there in your room with you. He knows your every fear. He knows your every worry. He knows your every concern. And he is with you. This is a walk of faith. Trust him. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. Trust him in the storm. Yeah. Trust him in the darkness. Yes. Trust him in the moment. He is with you. Powerful. And you folks that are watching, I know that Bishop Oliver just reached right into your living room, wherever you are, and he touched your heart. Respond to the Lord right now. Just lift your hands wherever you are right now. I feel the presence of God. And I know he's dealing with you right now. He's comforting you and he's counseling you right now. He said, I am. He's in your now. Receive from him at this very moment. You've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In him we live and move and have our now. We have our being. 
Receive the presence of the Lord right where you are right there. Dr. Sharona? You know, I, um, I'm listening, and, and I, I want to just say something on, on Bishop Oliver's behalf. His insights we need to listen to. Yeah. Uh, the place from which he speaks um, and his history um, is important. Yes. Uh, all of us, all of us uh, have our story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, most of us don't want to admit that our most profound insights come out of our deepest pain. Mm. True that. Um, I, it was Walter Brueggemann, in the, old, the Old Testament scholar who wrote Prophetic Imagination, who said that pain is the locus, the location of our praise, mm. that all of our real praise comes out of our pain, that praise is a sacrifice. Pain is the place where we've been talking about in Romans 8, all of creation is groaning. Chris Green, who um, I consider a dear friend and is a brilliant Pentecostal scholar, mm -hmm. talks about the fact that we need to understand that, that not all suffering is redemptive, but God does use pain to yes. awaken us because it teaches us how to empathize. And it also, whether we like it or not, we have to learn from our pain. Yes. And um, while I have been through and you have been through an extended, we both know what it is to go through an extended dark season. Yes, sir. Um, when I think about Bishop and I think about a particular season in his life and what he endured, and I listen to what he shares, um, I'm deeply moved because I look at I look at Gary as a friend and a brother. I recognize him as a bishop, but I look back on the years, um, and I look back at the journey, and I look back at at the loss of his son, mm -hmm. and what he had to process to go through that, and um, where those insights come from. Mm -hmm. And um, I, Gary, I love you. I appreciate you. Just want you to know that. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Incredible. Pain has a way of producing messages in us and through us that we would never speak without it. Ezekiel said, I sit where they sit because now I've been through what they've been through. And there's some people you'll never be able to speak to till you've been through what they've been through. Yep. And sometimes I believe that God allows us as leaders to experience our followers paying so that we can identify with where they are and I've lived that we all three as you have said Dr. Sharona we have our histories and many times we need to listen to the history of each other because we learn during those times yes. I want to transition the thoughts here just for a moment when Noah comes out of that ark and there's a lot of prophetic symbolism there from the 40 days and the 40 nights, meaning quarantine, 120 years of building the ark, uh, and all the 120s in scripture from the upper room to right now, 120 years ago, Topeka, Kansas happened, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Charles Parham receives the Holy Spirit, lays hands on William Seymour. He goes to California and Azusa starts and Pentecost is born in America. The, all these cycles are there, and it's all about the days of Noah. God told him 
to build the ark, but when he came out of the ark at the end of the flood, God did not tell him to build an altar. He did that by himself. God never said, now build an altar and offer a sacrifice. The first thing he did on the exit was build an altar. And I believe that God is looking for men that will return and revisit the altars of our life. Because it was in our deepest pain that we had to hold on to those horns of that altar like we never have before. And God birthed in us at those moments revelations that we have never seen or experienced before. It is there that God smelled the sweet savor. At the first part of chapter 8 of Genesis, God exhaled and a wind blew over the earth. Mm-hmm. But on the exit of the ark and the altar was built, God inhaled. He smelled the savor. And the word smelled in Hebrew literally means to inhale with an anticipation to do something on the behalf of the person giving the offering. And I believe that God is about to inhale right now in this, in this time. And I believe that we are on the precipice of the greatest season we've ever seen as the body of Christ. I, believe, I still believe we've not seen the greatest revival we've ever seen. And if we want to try to define that by what we've seen as revivals in the past, we're going to miss the next move. Because I don't think it even looks like what we've seen in the past. Dr. Sharona, can you give us some insight there? Yeah, you know, so many things going off in my spirit while you're talking about this. You know, I unashamedly identify with Pentecostalism. Um, I I, I appreciate the word evangelical, but I prefer Pentecostal for many reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the... And, and I was thinking, because you, know, you talk about the altar, again, Ricky Moore, one of the great Pentecostal theologians alive on the planet, Cleveland, Tennessee, talks about, in, one, in an article he wrote, altar hermeneutics, mm. the way of interpreting things. Yeah. Because it, for a Pentecostal, it is the altar where we get altered. Yeah. So we are used to the fact, and it's prop, and right now what's difficult is because we're isolated, mm-hmm. we can't have... And for me, an altar call is more than just who wants to get saved. For me, an altar call is we're all broken, we're all busted, you know, we're all disgusted, as T.D. Jake says. We all need to come to this altar and allow God to alter us. So even after the hearing of the word and the breaking of the bread, we all need the overshadowing spirit to do a deep work in us. And and I want to believe that we're coming to a fresh Pentecost that's going to come out of our brokenness in our need for God to invite us to rebuild that altar. You know, there are so many ways in which we could talk about the altar from the Old Testament. But I, I, I just think, Rick, we're coming to a moment where we're going to discover again the preciousness mm. of the altar as the place where we get altered. Yes. Powerful. I agree. So when he smells this sweet savor, he immediately interjects predictability because the next part of the verse says, as long as the earth remains, you know what it says? There'll be seed time and harvest. Now I'm going to give you some predictability. Think of this. This man's worship brought rhythm back to the earth. A man without worship does not have rhythm to his life. His syncopations is off which means he misses seasons. If you miss seasons, you miss opportunities. 
Worship keeps you not only on the will of God, and in that will of God is the timing of God, but it keeps you in the heart of God. So when the predictability was returned, now, because of his worship, there's going to be seed time and harvest. I want to, I, I want to hear you guys talk about, and Bishop Oliver, this is your wheelhouse. I was with you when we were young. I'm talking about 1984. And you had had an experience of going to the altar. The altar being your place of worship, your office. And you're playing the piano and you're singing. And you're in a broken season. Tell us, tell us what, show these people the power of worship. Tell us. First of all, um, there's a place where when in the altar building, when God was commanding the people to build an altar, uh, for the temple, he said, there will be no sound of chisel nor hammer, hmm. indicating you cannot manufacture praise. So good. Wow. Manufacture. The, the, the fact is, is that praise is not singing. It's not hand claps. It's not dancing. It's not all of these things that we put as those are expressions of praise. If, if it was just singing and dancing, God would have to show up at all the nightclubs. If, if it was just shouting, he'd have to show up at every football game. It's not those things. Those things are expressions. But if my heart is not in it, if my heart is not um, totally turned toward God, I, I was in a season where, um, as you mentioned, I, I had actually been diagnosed from a doctor as having curvature of the spine. Mm -hmm. And he said I would be a hopeless cripple within 10 years. I was pouring concrete. I was working hard. I was doing two, three jobs. I was doing stacking groceries at night and directing choirs and teaching in the Bible college and everything else. And my life was extremely busy. And I just told this guy, I said, listen, man, I, I, I'm not buying that report. And I've got another doctor that I want to go talk to. And uh, of course, you know, that's that's the old Pentecostal language, man. Uh, we just said, I've got another doctor that I need to go see. And we go to prayer and I went to prayer, man. And I went to prayer for myself because, um, you know, if, if you're sick, you call for the elders, but if you're afflicted, you pray for yourself. Yeah. You, you, you want to pray. You want to say, God, why am I dealing with this affliction? What's going on here? So I began to fast and pray. And as I fasted and prayed, and I'll make the story short. I, I got into a moment and I was, I was probably in this office for, it was 20 days plus 21, 23. I don't remember the number of days, but I was up there for some time. And uh, as I was praying, I began to say this because at this season of my life, I was writing a lot of praise and worship songs and people were coming from around, uh, especially the Metroplex during that season. I was raised yeah. right here in Fort Worth. So there were people were coming and they were walking out, you know, like, man, that dude is something else. And he's awesome. He's hot. And I kept saying, God, I don't want people walking away saying, isn't Gary Oliver good? Mm. I wanted people walking away saying, isn't God good? Yeah. And I said, so God, I don't want it to be about me or my glory, but let your glory fill this place. Yes. And as I began to pray this prayer, I was on my knees. There was can lighting in the room. I had all the lights dim. It's late in the night. And as I'm praying it, I open my eyes. I'm just, I'm just sitting on my knees, sitting on my feet and kind of on my knees. 
And as I'm sitting there like this, and I, I'll never forget the stance of, of just seeing my hands out of the peripheral as I look up to the light and I see vapor coming out of my mouth, just mm -hmm. like uh, the people that vape today. When you see them vape and that real heavy plume of smoke comes out of their mouth, yeah. that's what it looked like while I'm talking. Yeah. But it wasn't going away and it was moving and it was intricate and it was it was crawling over itself and it's and this smell this mm. smell that you don't smell with your nose you smell with your being mm -hmm. it's it somehow infiltrates your lungs the feeling of it was like standing in liquid peace wow mm. uh it, it, it's there, there's no way to make it make sense the the moment of visitation of god is so overwhelming and i said oh god what do you want to do when your presence is like this and my back went and just straightened wow. up and i said oh god you want to heal us and i fell over on my face and i heard holy spirit say no i want to bring you into right alignment mm. praise and worship is so that we might come under the headship of christ in a moment so that he can impart to his body but we're so dysfunctional it's almost like watching somebody who has had a horrible accident or somebody who is is lame and crippled trying to walk when you watch the body of christ and it's time that we come together and get into proper alignment with him and headship with him and that glory of the lord filled that room until all that night i sang and people can you know people can say what they want to say i know what i experienced and yes, you indeed. you can fight me with your theology but i'm going to tell you what happened and that's the all i know is what happened right. yes and as i sang i heard myriads of voices singing what i'm singing and if i stopped they stopped and if i started singing again they would pick back up and sometimes i would sing in a heavenly language and they would sing exactly what i was singing so i knew i was speaking tongues of the Bible says men and, and angels. angels. I knew I had tapped into the angels language and I was singing in a moment and the glory of God was all over that room. It was so thick and so rich that the next morning someone came and opened my door to check on me and almost fell out. And they said, oh my God, what is in this room? And I wow. said, it is the glory of God. Don't mess it up. Just shut the door quietly and leave, please. Wow. Because I didn't want anything to mess. There is a place where I believe that God wants to take the church. I don't think we have those experiences just to say, hey, that was an experience for you when you were learning. And uh, now I'm never going to do that again. No, I think those are moments that God is going to take the church back into. But I agree with you that I don't think it's going to come the way I thought it would come in this season. It's going to come so differently. It's going to come in a moment, in yeah. a, a, a moment. But it's going to be a moment where it is not manufactured praise. Wow. It's going to be a moment where maybe the click track has lost it. Maybe the little band has kind of got out of sync and everything is stopped for a moment. And there's a moment where God just steps in and all of a sudden this song of the Ooh, Lord begins. Man. Yes. And when the song of the Lord comes through, and this is what people don't understand. When you tap into the presence of God like this, the Bible says that he is seated upon the praises of his people. Come on. It's not seated when we first come together. He is actually looking on and seeing where we are. If you go back and study the Old Testament and study the old tabernacle in the wilderness, 
they were coming in. They had to come past the brazen altar, the brazen uh, water stand. They had to come past the golden altar. All these different things, the table of showbread, the lampstands, all this, they had to come past this stuff before God would actually sit down. That's what the Bible is talking about when God seats himself. He doesn't necessarily sit down, sit down when we just walk in, but he looks at us and says, do you really want me this time? Mm. Are you really serious about it? Are you just going to give me some more manufactured praise? Or are you going to lose yourself in me in this moment? Because if you will lose yourself in me in this moment, then I will come and sit down. Now, what people don't understand is that is where, this is where in the church, I believe that the gifts like yours, the gifts like Dr. Mark, and uh, I can tell you for years and years and years, I've known Dr. Mark. We, we won't go back that far either, but it's been close to 40 years. I've probably known him. The first prophecy he ever spoke to me, I still remember, mm -hmm. still remember it. And it yep. happened exactly like he said it. He, this man has been a prophet to my life for years. Yes. So I honor Dr. Mark as a prophet. Yes, he always is. have. Yes. And always will, because everything he speaks to me comes to pass the way he says it. And so in a moment when God sits down upon his throne, God doesn't sit on the throne to hang out with people and say, what's going on? How y'all doing down here? No, when God sits on the throne, it's to take care of kingdom business. That's where the prophetic, the real prophetic in the heavenlies opens up. And that's where a man of God will step into a moment. And I mean, there is nothing else that can be done. The word of the Lord will come through him with power and force. And I will tell you, that is the word that God sends to heal. That is the word that God sends to deliver. That is the word that God sends to break every yoke. Mm, mm. And it has to come from a place of a broken, contrite heart that is repentant before God, lamenting before God, but worshiping before God, not manufactured. And I'm waiting on you, God, right now. Yeah. And then when we hit that place where he sits down, that's where God says, thus saith the holy God of heaven. My and God. Cancers dry up. Yeah. Demons have to go. Yes. Things happen. There will be moments in the service where those those expressions. And I think people are afraid of that. We have we have we have given medicine to demons mm. Mm. and we have calmed them down so mm. that they don't react and overact. My God, I believe there's coming a moment where even the medicine is not going to be effective because the presence is going to get so intense that when it comes and I, people don't have, you're just gonna have to get over it. We don't have to be afraid of this. We have the authority, we have power by the blood of Jesus. We walk in that authority and that's where real freedom is going to come. And yes, once we walk through freedom like that with people, there is healing that needs to take place. There is deliverance that yes. needs to take place. There's all kinds of things that need to happen. Yes. But you know what? That's the door for the opportunity to really happen. There's one more place I want us to go tonight but I want to know if Dr. Sharon has anything to, to say. No, no, I wouldn't add to that. That was wonderful. That was, that was absolutely profound. So I, Bishop Oliver and Dr. Sharon, I think you both agree that the emphasis is worship and word and worship preceding word. And what we see in chapter nine of Genesis is that the mandate of dominion is restored because now God tells Noah exactly what God told Adam be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So now he gets his dominion back, but he gets it back out of worship, right? So I know this is going to be deep, but if I know two gentlemen that can traverse with me through this, it's you two guys. Noah just brings his family through a flood. 
He worships at this altar and he plants a vineyard. Do y'all want to go there with me? This is, this is going to be interesting. And he drinks of his own vineyard and what happens? He gets drunk. Goes in his tent. He lays down. We know the story. Ham comes in and sees his father's nakedness. Goes out, tells his brothers. His brothers walk in backwards, refuse to look at their father's nakedness, cover him, and they walk out. Noah discovers what Ham has done, and many preachers preach that Noah cursed Ham. The Bible doesn't say he cursed Ham. The Bible says he cursed Canaan which was Ham's son. And we know the territory of Canaan and what that represents. So that's a misnomer in theology that's been around for years. Let's clear that up. But what I want to touch on, and I know you guys are going to get with this just for a moment. I think pre-COVID and for decades, we've had a father problem in the church. I think we have rested where Paul told the church at Corinth, uh, I warn you that you have 10,000 instructors, but you do not have many spiritual fathers. All right. I think now what is being manifested in this hour is a sonship problem. And it's almost like one out of every three sons seem to be blowing it. And Ham blew it because Ham didn't cover his father. I want you guys to address sonship just for a moment because I really do believe in this season we are in an incubator birthing nest in the Spirit of God during this quarantine, pandemic, whatever it is. And I think the emphasis that God is placing in the earth right now is where are my sons? Where it was, where are my fathers? Let's start with you, Dr. Sharona. Sonship. Okay, so, so if I can, to expand that a little bit in terms of Romans 8, when it says, as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons, sons of, of God, God. We us. The term, I want to just say this for the sake of all of our sisters, that includes them. Yes. Back in, back in the days of... Um, in those ancient days, the masculine pronouns were used and women have grown up in the church having to tell themselves that includes me. And so I think there is there is an area here where, especially right now, we're not just dealing with racial unrest. Women are saying, you guys better start paying attention to us as well mm -hmm. because we've got something to say and the spirit has empowered us to say it. Yes. And so I want to just affirm the women Thank because you for they yes. share equal. God made us together image bearers and rulership in that regard and governance is both male and female. Yes. Um, and so I'm not a complementarian. I'm an egalitarian. I believe that women are equal to men. Um, that's my personal conviction. I believe I can argue it from scripture. But what I would say is that we now we now have a generation that because of many areas where I think there was father absence and what what is referred to in psychology as 
father deficit mm -hmm. that there is a generation that is suffering from those wounds and reacting to things um, in a way that would indicate that they feel fatherless. Um, and, and, and somehow we have to address that. And we, uh, I'm not, listen, I think that there are mistakes being made by a generation that's come up. But if I look back at our generation, we made mistakes too. That's right. What I don't want to do is there were, there were voices in our generation that operated from a command and control and you better submit to my authority and I, you, you don't answer me back. And I, that kind of hierarchy for me, uh, I don't see Jesus doing that. Right. I don't see that in Paul. I don't actually see that in terms of how the spirit of God moves. I see that as a way in which the Western culture yes. has been indoctrinated to force the text to yeah. say that. And we have become oppressors in yep. that wow. and we and and so i think in some ways um the younger generation is saying y'all can have that but we're not what but i what 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 they don't need to do is throw the baby out with the bathwater okay. because probably right now yeah. more than ever um i'd like to believe at this season in our life we've been through enough hell and back that we just might have earned some stripes and some wounds that can teach that generation something in a loving way, in a caring way, That's and awesome. an empowering way, in a healing way. Yeah. So I want to I want to figure out how do we go from, you know, the turning of the hearts of the fathers to the sons, the turning of this. So I don't know that the sons and daughters are going to turn to us until we actually turn to them and say, hey, listen, uh, we want to listen to what you're struggling with. We want to hear your pain. What, where, where are the areas where you feel like we're not addressing what, because they're looking for authenticity. They're looking for genuineness. Yeah. They're looking for transparency. They might even be looking for vulnerability. So I'll, I'll, I'll close my portion with this story. Um, you know, I went through a very, well, so did you, Rick. I mean, I went through a three and a half year, extremely dark, yep. dark season. Yep. And, uh, everything I thought would work to get me out of it didn't work. That's right. Um, not one thing that I thought I was preaching that I thought would work, worked. Right. And I went through three and a half extended years of, of um, intense insomnia, sleep deprivation, physical exhaustion, intense anxiety coupled with depression. Mm -hmm. And I had to be on all sorts of medications. Um, I didn't think I was going to make it through that. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful to be alive. But I came out of that uh, with an awareness that there's probably a lot more people that go through that than we talk about because in our generation, we just talked about success. Yeah. We, you know, we, we, we put this happy face on every time we're in front of the, the pulpit. And we, you know, we're kind of like the, the Energizer Bunny. You, you turn us on and we just do our thing. We perform, but then when we're off that platform, nobody sees our wounds. Yes. Right. And um, good. Um, when Elijah is at his greatest moment, he's also at his most vulnerable moment. Mm. He 
here is Elijah, who is virtually a spiritual father to the nation of Israel. And he takes on the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He rebuilds the altar. He calls down fire from heaven. We know the story, but nothing changes. And after all of that, nothing changes. Jezebel comes after him with a vengeance. And even though he knows who God is, in that vulnerability, he flees from the northern kingdom and runs all the way to Judah, yep. only to be exhausted and clinically depressed. Yep. Yes. And he falls down under a juniper tree and an angel is sent by Yahweh to feed him because he's got another transition to go through. 40 days is transitional because he's got to go back to basics. He's got to go back to Mount Sinai to the very cleft of the rock where Moses saw the glory. But this is going to be a different encounter because God is going to not going to, he's not going to be in the earthquake. He's, he's going to give him all that display, right. but none of that's going to touch him anymore. He's not going to be moved by that anymore. It's going to be the sound of a gentle breeze. It's going to ask him, what are you doing here? And what's going to bring him out and make him a fruitful father is a relationship with someone that he doesn't even know exists mm-hmm. that he's going to pour into and who's going to pour into him and cause him at the end of his life to be fruitful because he's going to turn his heart to Elisha, who is going to give up everything right. to just pour water on his hands and then become the one through whom healing and mercy and yeah. miracles can begin to happen. I, I'd like to believe that in the midst of all the mistakes that have been made, that we might be at a turning point where we can pull. And, and the sad thing about El, that I was going to say about Elijah is that he had a servant accompanying him until he got clinically depressed. And then he sent the servant away so he couldn't see him go through his pain. And I think it was the biggest mistake he made because the greatest lesson he could have taught the guy that was hanging with him was that even when we go through pain, we're not forsaken, we're not abandoned. And, and he isolated himself in a way that was unhealthy when really what he could have taught that next generation at that point was, we're all human, we're all vulnerable, we all have feet of clay, and we all got to go through a crisis. I think it would have served that man that he drove away better, but then God gave him an Elisha anyway to come alongside him in his depression, who was part of that next generation to give him vision to know how to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and daughters and the hearts of the daughters and sons back to the fathers and the mothers. But I, I, that, that, that would be my contribution to what you raised about Noah. Very, very strong. Great insight, great inspiration. Um, here's what I hope. I hope people are hearing you guys. What I'm hearing is your hearts. And that's what I'm appreciating so much about this dialogue is that you guys are really reaching for people. I, I feel that you want to help. You want to assist. And I appreciate your perspective, Dr. Sharona, concerning sonship. And I agree with you that somehow we stepped into those apostolic offices with all of these big titles and we abused it. And that's across the board. And by so doing, we turn sons' hearts the other way 
instead of toward us and create the gravitational pull of grace. And um, I think in this season, we're seeing God deal with us concerning that. Bishop Oliver, in a closing statement, uh, talk to us about sonship, sir. Two things that I would say uh, very quickly. One, um, Elisha, when the three kings went out into the wilderness to do battle and Jehoshaphat said, is there a prophet of the Lord that we may call on yeah. to get a word? And somebody said, well, there's this guy named Elisha. And he said, who is Elisha? He said, he's the guy who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat immediately recognized something and said, go get him for the word of the Lord will be with him. My point is, you become what you serve. So in sonship, I think that the role of a son is harder than the role of a father. Wow. Because the role of a son always is nevertheless. Yeah, not my will. Your will be done. But thine be done. The role of the son is never to do his own works. All good theology is found in the life of Jesus. If you look at Jesus and the role that he played as a son, I was on uh, the call with Dr. Mark um, and the uh, uh, Issachar Initiative uh, with Dr. Uh, Leonard Sweet and uh, these guys did an amazing job. One of the things that was raised though is that there has to be and correct me, Dr. Mark, if I'm saying it wrong, but there has to be this continual uh, juxtaposition and tension and pull of my, my vertical response to God, but my horizontal response to people. Yeah. And at the center of that, at the crux of that is always, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Sons live in greater tension sometimes than the father does. Mm -hmm. The father has the plan. Of course, we know that as fathers, the heart of the father is extremely compassionate and hurting when he watches his son go through what he watches him go through. But what the son went through and the idea of being an obedient son who did not do anything for his own will, but he did it for the will of the father. I close with this story, quick story. When we went through the loss of our son, my oldest son, and he, he's heard me tell this story many times, uh, really rebelled, rebelled against me, rebelled against the church, rebelled against everything. He just, and, and I knew it was a place of pain and uh, I couldn't understand what was going on. We were on a vacation and I told him, I said, we're going to go into my mom's bedroom and we're not going to come out until I understand why you're so upset. We go into my mom's bedroom and my son begins to lay out stuff that he said I did. And if it had not been my son, I might've thought it was funny, but this was my son. So it wasn't funny at all. Right. I didn't recognize anything my son was putting on me. Mm. I didn't recognize any of it. I didn't recognize, I don't remember doing some of the things. 
And one of the things that God really showed me in the moment, and this, this happens a lot with sons and sometimes with fathers, but I'm sitting at my piano and I, when I play the piano, there is a pedal here that we call the sustain pedal. When I depress that sustain pedal, it lifts all of the dampening hammers so that all the strings are free to vibrate now. Yep. There is nothing holding, holding back yep. their vibration. So when I play a chord, all of those other strings began to vibrate and they produce what we call sympathy tones. Wow. And what I began to see was that my son was telling somebody else's story to me because when he went to college, there was nothing to hold him back. And he began to vibrate and resonate with their own story as if it were his. And it produced sympathy tones in him. And he's telling me stories that happened in other families, but it didn't happen in my family. Mm. And I said, God, what do I do with this? And he said, own it. Wow. And ask him to forgive you. And I said, why? I didn't do any of that. Yeah. He said, neither did I do anything of yours that I nailed to the cross for you. Wow. He said, own it. Ask him to forgive you. I'm going to tell you, when I opened up that place, and I think that's what we're talking about in about restoring rightful relationships with sons and daughters and fathers. When we owe things that we know we didn't do. Yep. Some of it we did do, because not everything they say about you is a lie. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's not true. everything. When people talk about <laughs> you, not everything is a lie. That's true. But it's when you own what they say, even though you can't find a place of truth of that in your heart, it opens up a door for a reconciliation. And, and you know what? I believe that it is the sweet smell before God. I believe that you talked about with, with Noah, when he put that, built that altar yeah. and it put that sweet smell. We want to put a sweet smell before God. I know that, that, that the Bible talks about heaping coals of fire upon someone's head. That's not to burn them up. That is to send up a sweet smell. Ooh. Yes. So when we send up a sweet smell before the Lord in our relationships, I believe that it makes God proud of us because every one of us, if you look at the 10 commandments, the in the, and I, I'm stopping, but if you look at the 10 commandments, they're written on two tables. They're not on one table. That's why the Bible continually refers to them as the two tables. It never refers to them. It does a couple of places at the 10 uh, pronouncements or commandments of God, but it's generally spoken of as two tables. And the reason being is because the first five are how we deal with God. The second five are how we deal with man. Yeah. With each other. And so the first commandment is, I am the Lord, your God. If you go straight across from that, number five is thou shalt not murder. Well, how does that relate to I'm the Lord, your God? Thou shalt not murder. That's because I am his God too, the man you just tried to kill. Yeah. And I'm just his, I'm his God as much as I am your God. And so when we began to absorb things and say, you know what? God is God of this man. God is God of this woman. God is God of this person, this hater, this person that's complaining, this person saying this or that. I'm going to take it on because why the role of sonship, the role of fatherhood, it's all hard. Mm -hmm. It's none of it's easy, but when we take it on and we try to enact it and enable it and what uh, Dr. Mark said, forgive them. The first thing out of Jesus, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Right. They have, if we could say somehow, God, don't lay this to their charge, whatever you do, don't judge them. 
on my account. Yeah. Because I released this thing. I don't carry it. I believe sons and fathers can be restored in a very powerful and prolific way. Man. Strong. Dr. Sharona, anything else? For me, I don't want to stop you guys because you are absolutely flowing. You good? I'm good. Awesome. Well, let me just let me just say this. You know, I think we lost it somewhere a long time ago when we thought that the messenger was bigger than the message. And it's never been that way. The message has always been bigger than the messenger. And uh, we're all we all stand in that place of grace, fathers and sons. And that's what will carry us through by showing that grace. Um, I appreciate you guys tonight. I know this, that time is more valuable than money. It's more valuable than money. You can get money back, but you're not going to get the time back. And the time you gave us tonight is time well spent. So I just want to pause and tell you both, we heard your hearts, and I pray that the people watched and learned and not just listened, but learned and grew tonight, and in turn, they'll sow into you guys' ministries. Uh, There are places in the comments that you can sow into these incredible men's lives. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to turn this back over to uh, Christian, and we're going to have a song at the end here. I want you to stay on and enjoy this and continue to converse with one another in the comments. Please share this. Someone's going to need this. We've been averaging about twenty to 24,000 viewers from Monday to Monday every week on these table talks. So please be one of those that is a social media missionary. Father, we speak your blessing over every person that has been engaged and involved and even interested tonight. We pray, God, that you will touch them in a way that only you can touch them. Let let each person feel the father heart of who you are tonight. We thank you for the conversation. We thank you for the dialogue. But more than anything, we thank you for the personal destiny of each person that has watched this tonight. And we speak your blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I love both of you with all my heart. God bless you guys.